welcome to the Tough Cookie Podcast, sharing stories of amazing inspiration, hope and resilience from transplant recipients and people with chronic illnesses. And here's your host, Patricia Shades. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tough Cookie Podcast. I'm Patricia, and I'm so grateful to have you guys here back again for another episode. Um, So today I've got a really special guest. Um, So a lot of you know that I am a kidney and pancreas transplant recipient and I've finally got a a fellow kidney and pancreas transplant recipient, Ali, who is here with us today. So thank you so much for joining us, Ali. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So good. And got this podcast on. (laughs) And I'm grateful to have you here. So sort of um give a bit of a perspective on what our joint journey is like because we we follow very similar paths and a lot of um, kidney and pancreas recipients sort of have a very similar story. So I'm really grateful to have you here joining us to share yours. So um, I'll pass the microphone to you to tell us all about yourself. Thank you. Yes, um, I was trying to think today when we met, I think it was at a pancreas um, get together at Westmead Hospital celebrating 30 years of pancreas transplants. Which, yeah, um, absolutely. Which when I found out that I may need one, I didn't even know they existed. So um, that all happened about seven years ago. But before that, I was 13 when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I was a pretty healthy kid up until that date. And um, I recall the symptoms, but I didn't know what they were. And my mum... Mm-hmm. Being a mum of four and reading whatever she's read in the magazine, so noticed the symptoms as well. And um, I went to the doctor for a throat infection, something minor. And while we were there, mum said, "Oh, she's peeing a lot and drinking, you know, so much." And um, yeah, just being out of sorts. And the doctor straight away said, "Sounds like sugar." Um, and he said, oh, I'll get you to do a pee test. And mum had got, already got me to do one at home because she had specimen jars in the cupboard for some reason. So mum said, oh, here's <laughs> one I prepared earlier. And he did a quick <laughs> test. And he went, yep, it's, uh, it's pretty pretty high there. Um, I think it was probably red or maroon at the time of the sticks back then. That wow. was in 1992. So, yes, I was 13. I'm now 41 privilege to be 41 so off I went to the hospital and at that stage um, I nearly no no idea what type 1 diabetes was I knew that a friend from school's dog had it but he passed away and I knew a girl in a book had it that I used to read called babysitters club so I had really no knowledge did you read (laughs) it I read that too and (laughs) absolutely yep that was sort of what got me through my I guess I started reading those books when I was in kind of late primary school and yeah, it got me, kind of got me through those really hard teenage years, which yeah, a lot of diabetics go through and you go a bit off the rails and stuff were, like that. Yeah. I was you super you young. Were, I was a baby. Yeah, yeah. Baby, baby, baby. But yeah, yeah the, Babysitter's Club, there was, there was a, a, a yeah. character who did have diabetes and it made, I, I'm probably sure that a lot of people Dawn got through their diabetes. Somebody. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I'll look it up one day. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's the so only, funny. Yeah. That's the only info I had. And mum and dad didn't really know about it. And it just, it just wasn't in our, in our sites when, um, when I was growing up. So 
uh, I went up to the hospital and I was up there for a week or so and learned how to give myself injections. And at that stage, I took it on myself. Don't mm. know why. Don't know what was in me, but I was like, I'll do it. I've got this. And then I had a really great educator and a great dietitian. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was the early 90s, so it's a bit different to what we've got now. But um, all in all, that was a good experience. And mm. I was... I was pretty good at being a diabetic, I guess, for the first couple of years. And as uh, new hormones came in and I was a shitty teenager, um, I pushed everyone aside and um, was like, I've got this. Which is which is really common. Like, yeah. you know, there's lots of diabetics I know that sort of get through those teenage years by basically, as you just said, pushing everyone away because yeah. – you sort of feel like you you you're old enough to take care of yourself, but and you that your disease is part of that. But in yeah. the same vein, you're I really think, not old enough to take care of yourself. Oh, not at all. <laughs> but I think I had to grow up in yep. some ways pretty quick. You know, like yeah, absolutely. All the other kids at school were eating whatever they want wanted and running around whatever you know doing what it. They were quite free, and I felt not free. Yeah, um, absolutely. It is a confining disease. People don't actually, and I guess particularly in those teenage years when you're sort of really developing and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, you're right. Your friends do all eat what they want, but you've got yeah. all these parameters in which you have to sort of stick to, and it's so hard. And yeah. you just you do math, you flat out in yeah. your head all day, every day. Absolutely. And you, don't get, you don't get a minute's peace. You don't get a day yeah. off. You don't get your birthday off or Christmas off. You don't get to, you know, finish a term and then have holidays. You're, it's just constantly. and I Yeah, your disease is with you 24-7. Yeah, and I recall reading something a long time ago um, about diabetes burnout and I have full faith that that's what happened to me and is quite common. But um, yeah. not to everyone. And also, well, and at that stage, I didn't know anyone else with diabetes. I knew of people, yeah. I met some people at some talks I did for like Walk for the Cure and stuff like that, but I was, it was, I was felt very isolated and I think that's why yeah. I pushed everyone away because I was like, it's my disease, you can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't help me, like I have to do it. And you I can't understand it. it either. As no, nobody understands. I think a lot of mental, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I felt honestly the same way it is a very isolating disease and I'm sure it's probably not as much these days because I sort of I know a lot of younger people and I'm talking like you know early teens that sort yeah. of high school 13 14 15 who have it and it's sort of they're not the only ones in their school whereas when I grew up I was definitely the only person in my school that had yeah, it same. and yeah. I was definitely the only one that I knew of that had it like yeah it wasn't until I, met, I kind of went to, to diabetic camp and things like same. that I met other kids that were yeah, my age same. that had it. And it was all of a sudden like, oh, my gosh, I am not the only person. Yes, the same. <laughs> diabetes camp was like heaven on earth. And I'm still Absolutely. friends today with a girlfriend I met down there, Holly. And yep. she's a treasure. She handled her diabetes differently. Um, yep. to me that, that she's just a different person person she's yep. quite resilient in many ways um, to 
to to the disease and was more um I don't know she had a different way of dealing with it and yeah but meeting her and another girl Vanessa at diabetes camp was like oh, and we meet up afterwards you know at school holidays and they lived over yep. one side of Sydney and we'd meet the Queen Victoria building and yeah they were like <laughs> they were just a, such a joy to have because I felt I didn't feel quite as alone yeah at that absolutely. stage yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess to give some clarity and some some context to, to people who are listening, diabetes camp is like yeah. this thing you go, <laughs> you go to when you're probably about what fourteen or so. Yeah. Maybe yes, 14, about that age. My first one. Um, and we actually felt like Ali and I both went to the same one, but at different times, and they always got held in like the December January school holidays, and the ones that we went to were down south in the Kangaroo Valley. Yes. And you do lots of activities and um, all sorts of random stuff. Like we did rock climbing and abseiling and, oh gosh, I can't remember what else. And you learn as well. Lots of stuff. Yeah. And you compete. Everyone competes with your sugars and what is yours and who's yours. And you sleep in these big dorm rooms and don't sleep. And we carry (laughs) around, yeah, we carry around a necklace with a, oh, this is another old reference a film canister yep. film, <laughs> and we'd have two sachets of sugar in there <laughs> and that would yep, have like just in case you got a low blood sugar and every you kid had to rate it for that around it yeah around their neck and it was like yep. where's your where's your sugar around your necklace yeah 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 so that was quite often yeah. quite quite often you do so much stuff that you'd actually need to to have it as well like yeah, you do so much that you just yeah. wouldn't do at home. So yeah. yeah, but it was a it was a really, um, a really cool thing to do because you got to meet other people that had diabetes that were your age. Yeah, you also got a bit of education and all that sort of stuff. It was was quite well sorted out in that like a lot You'd of the learn stuff was bad habits kind too. of almost disguised. <laughs> yeah, you would learn bad habits, and they were like honey yeah. sandwiches in case you had a hypo through the night. Oh, <laughs> do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> I still can't eat honey sandwiches. <laughs> oh, I mean, either. They're disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally like really cheap Woolies bread with like butter and honey on it, and that's it. And it would sit out overnight in Gladrup, <laughs> but it was like the heat of summer, so it would go pretty <laughs> nasty pretty quickly. And yeah. if you did have to have a hype, if you did have a, a low blood sugar through the night, you'd rate it. Yeah, and yeah, I I can't stomach them to this day. It's one of those things either. that really makes me gag. They're yeah. disgusting. They are. They are really but we good. digress. <laughs> yeah, sorry, apologies. So, um, as a teen, I was uh, I was a pretty regular kid. I wasn't good at sports or that good at school or anything like that. But um, I was pretty social. So, yeah, it was a bit isolating. I um, like I said, mm. and then as I got older. And um, didn't really know what to do as a career and stuff like that. I went on to do some college and then I got the bright idea and I know now where it comes from, but I told my dad, oh, I'm going to go fruit picking around Australia. And I was 19. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange. It's cool. It sounds the, cool, but not yeah. good, but it like, you know, it, I went straight to work after school. Whereas this yeah. is sort of like you kind of get to do that whole travel thing, but you're working at the same time. That sounds awesome. It was, yeah, because I'd been overseas on a holiday and I was like, oh, mm. I definitely want to go back overseas and do all that. But I wasn't confident to 
leave the country mm. on my own with my health because at the yeah. age of 18, I'd um, had some seizures with my diabetes um, oh, due wow. to low blood sugars and um, that sort of sent me in a little spiral. Um, I was working in a bar um, and doing uh, doing shift work and doing crazy hours and sort of burning the candle at both ends and um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, really awful moment. Dad heard noises in my room because I was still living at mum and dad and came in and I, I was fitting and then Ambos came and oh, normally man. you get a, a glucagon shot, which sort of um, mm-hmm. bumps you up, but they gave me intravenous glucose, which got yep. me, I was awake and I was conscious and all that. And they said to dad, um, you'll have to wake her up in a couple of hours because she'll need to eat again, you know, as the body yeah. processes that glucose. Yep. When dad did come to wake me again, he couldn't, he couldn't wake me. I was... I was gone. I was, I was not passed away. I was um, unconscious. Mm-hmm. So he had to call the Ambos again. And um, that sort of sent me in a spiral. I was fearful to go to sleep and I was fearful to have yeah, low sugar. And yeah. I let my sugar run higher than it should because I was so mm-hmm. frightened that I wouldn't wake up. And Which then, is, I guess, a little bit natural. Like, because I've gone through nighttime blood sugars myself mm. and it, it is terrifying to sort of wake up oh. all of a sudden and be in a room with ambos around or your family yeah. looking over you or They're whatever like, so Allie, Allie, I guess Allie. like, like yeah. I know my name where am I <laughs> Why am exactly I but it's it's bed? scary yeah. it's and awful. you know you wake and to uh, once again give some context when you have a, a, a hypoglycemic attack or a hypo as, as we call it in diabetes land you sweat I don't know about you, Ali, but mm-hmm. I s- used to sweat in bed when I'd have a hypo. And so I'd wake up not only in a room surrounded by people that I didn't generally know, as in the ambos, yeah. but you'd wake up in like this wet bed because you'd sweated so much because it's just, it's a side effect of having a high, a low blood sugar. Well, and yeah, it's nighttime an awful hypo. experience. And it's, it's, yeah, it is terrifying. And yeah. I think it would be a natural reaction to want your blood sugar to run a little bit higher. Yeah. To not not go through that because it's it's so scary. So yeah, yeah. that's I think that's understandable. It's not not tolerated. <laughs> I don't no, condone it. I don't it think it's a work. good idea. It but it makes work, sense. Yeah. It's it really yeah. does. Like and especially at the age of nineteen, you sort of you know yeah. this, per- this makes perfect sense to me because you know yeah. you're not having nighttime hypos this way. Yeah, or not but, yeah. waking oh, up. Oh my gosh. Or not not waking up. But yeah, yeah so exactly. I had two other seizures. One was in the kitchen and I, I remember I just put some crumpets on and next minute I woke up and the ambos were all around and um, everyone was freaking out. And the other one, I was in the shower. And then oh, my gosh. I was having a shower and then I woke up in my mum and dad's bed dressed in, I think, my mum's clothes or I don't know whose clothes I was in. <laughs> and dad had this huge wow. wound on his head and I said, what's going on like where am I and you wake up and you and you're scared so you're like you're freaking yeah and yeah so I'd have one so that was awful so I put my family through a little bit of stress then um but not as much as what was what to come so I traveled around Australia and by myself in a um panel panel van and worked and worked in bars and 
picked fruit and cleaned rooms in hotels and had the best time of my life. Came I was going to say, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, like, it was the best. Living the dream. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. It was, it was yeah, one of the greatest things, greatest things I've yeah. ever done. I was poor. I was living from check to check to town to town and, you know, um, one of my great girlfriends came along for the second half of that trip and I came back in a year, mm. much to my mum's, um, much to my mum's horror. She saw me, she's, I was in a mess, I was, my hair was crazy and I was at a farmer's tan and <laughs> not, not as healthy as I probably should have been. But um, then I went on to um, work in another pub in Sydney and then did a few other jobs and then I got bored again but that and went north um, to Hamilton Island to work but oh, wow. in the time when I did get back from that trip I realized that I still had diabetes when I got back yeah I think part of the trip was running away from my problem mm-hmm. at home being my health issues but that still had it when I got back. So then I was like, oh, you know. So I realized that had a few issues with um, eating and insulin over the years and saw yep. a few counselors and there were one psychologist at the stage, but I wasn't ready to get the help that I needed for that yeah. mental, you know, to get that those mental skills to deal, to deal with it. Um, yeah, because you're so young. Not, yeah. not to not to excuse it at all, but I think you know a lot of it is sadly youth and ignorance and and some yeah. somewhat stupidity and it's yeah, yeah. It, there's a lot it's of frustrating, stuff that, but it does make sense. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I worked through with my brilliant lifesaver psychologist now, who's skilled mm. in type one um, diabetes and type two for that matter. She's skilled in yeah. the knowledge of the disease and the knowledge of how to handle it, not handle it, the different types of people, yeah. you know, different ways it affects people. And yeah. I spoke through things with her, like I never grieved the kid that I was. I just went from yeah. being this normal kid and running around, you know, riding my bike around the streets to like, stop, what are you eating? What are you not eating? Yeah. Have you had, Have you had your insulin? What's your number? Yeah. What's your blood? Like there was none, it was just like, boom, now you're this and now you're that. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. And anyway, then I took up to Hamilton Island and did a year up there and then down the snow fields and came back to Sydney. And um, yeah, I, oh no, I didn't work the snow fields and I went to Byron Bay and worked in the pub up there and uh, eventually landed a great job, which I still have. Um, I work for a civil construction company in commercial financial admin and um, still still got diabetes. Everything's still the same. Um, mildly what, what checking cha- in with, with doctors. What changed with your diabetes? What was that pivot point that sort of really changed things for you? Well, I when I was in 2011, I went on a holiday to Bali with um, two of my great girlfriends and I thought Bali was really foggy. I was like, I cannot clear my eyes here. I just thought the entire place was foggy. Like 
Um, and then I just had this giant hole in my foot. <laughs> now I know that that yeah. was a, an ulcer. And now yep. I know that the fogginess was my eyes and I had retinopathy. But at the time, I know I didn't put two and two together, no clue. But I did make an yeah. appointment when I got back to go see an eye doctor. And I had a great GP that um, referred me to the diabetes clinic um, at RPA who have the most brilliant foot team known to man. And they saw me, they rushed me to see me as an appointment. And I remember the phone call yeah. with the beautiful lady there now. She's rousing on me. And I was like, who are you, lady? Like, I don't even know what an ulcer is. Like, she's like, you need to come in straight away. And I went and they said, yep, you've got an ulcer on your foot, straight in a boot. And I was like, what is going on? And they tested me and, yeah, I certainly had neuropathy in my feet and legs. So I couldn't feel the different sensations. And then yeah. I went and had um, the eye appointment and that was June 28th, 2011. I remember very clearly because the um, eye specialist said, you're going blind and you need to have injections in your eyes and you need to have laser in your eyes. And I was like, what? And I just remember yeah. crying my eyes out and thinking, oh, the world is ending. Like, this is of course. hideous. So last December, I think it was, I had my 117th eye injection for macular edema. Um, and I've wow. now gone into – and I'm now stable in the eyes. So it's brilliant. Mm. Yeah. And my feet yep. are really good now, but I've had yep. five surgeries. Um, on my feet and legs, I think five for the yeah. neuropathy. Um, yep. and I know we share feet history, but yours are currently in a not great position than mine. Um, <laughs> Ali and I, Ali and I quite often discuss, Ali and I quite often discuss how our feet are doing. It's quite a common topic of um texting or messenger or something yeah. like that. It's like a new. Or like we'll randomly send photos of feet to each other and it's like this is what my foot looked like today and it's just a random out of the blue, yeah, no warning. <laughs> because do you recall when, when I don't know, maybe when you're at diabetes camp and stuff, they talk to you about the complication of complications of diabetes but you're a kid and you're like. Oh. Yeah, and you'll also never, ha this is never going to happen to it's me. It's never going to happen. I don't know anyone that's got it. Yep. Um, yeah. My feet exactly. are fine. What do you mean? And I'll or know. it's the complete opposite where you do know someone that's got it but they've lost their leg or something like oh, that. Yeah. It's, it's the extreme of, of the complications and you're like, well, that is definitely never going to happen. And they didn't look after their foot or they didn't mm. look after their diabetes yeah, or whatever where you're like, I do. I take my insulin. I check my blood sugars, you know. Yeah. yeah. I just, and you just yeah, you I think was, you're invincible. You really do. I thought that was beyond me I just thought that's not gonna happen yeah. to me and I'll know when that's happening whereas I, yeah, I didn't pick it up yeah I just you'll, remember you'll never let it happen to you that's the other side of it as well I think no You're, way. not only it's not going to but I won't let it like I will stop it before they chop my leg off literally yeah. or I'll get but it does of, happen yeah I just yeah I'll know when I'm going blind yeah it's quite I don't know no and I wasn't I certainly wasn't pretending I didn't have it I just actually didn't mm. know that 
what I had was an ulcer and the cause of it was, you know, not being able to feel my feet because I could feel my feet. Yeah. I remember, yeah. you know, when you get summer feet and winter feet. And I remember walking yep. across the road from where I used to live down to the beach and you get, I'd get summer feet, so they're all pretty rough in it. But I remember going, oh, my gosh, it's summer and I still feel like I've got winter feet. Like my feet are killing me. But that was the nerves. Yeah. I don't know what they do, but they get hypersensitive before they yep. before they. Yeah, that's right. They do. Yeah. Yep. So eyes and then feet and then um, the GP, which I used to have, she was brilliant. She's like, let me do your bloods. Uh, looks like the kidneys are not happy. Um, I'll send you to a kidney doctor. I went, oh, okay. Still quite ignorant about that. Like, mm. sure, sure. Go. Went, saw him. Um, he's brilliant. And I spoke to him today um, as well. And uh, he, I thought he was quite young. He's not, he's, this guy's pretty young. Second, nearly same age as me. It's strange. And he, one of the, things he said was I'm not sure what's going on with your bloods or what's the mm. real deal but I'm gonna find out he was yeah he was at my level he never like spoke over me or whatever he said I'm not sure what it is but we'll find out and so I went off to mm. do lots of other tests um blood tests um you know didn't have great experience with some doctors in, during that stage but I went to nerve doctors and blood doctors and all sorts and um so that was yeah so that's what eight years ago now and I've still got the same kidney doctor and one of the things he said in the one of the first or second meetings was have you heard uh have you ever been told that you might be um might be able to get a kidney pancreas trans kidney pancreas transplant and I said I've never heard of it I'd never even mm. didn't even know you could get a pancreas I actually yeah. I don't know whether I didn't do enough reading or what it was, but I just had never heard of it. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, this was, a, I wasn't on any groups on Facebook and the only other outlet that I knew to chat to people was a, a website called Reality Check. And that was sort of the old forum days where you could yeah go and bring up a topic and chat to people about it. And I remember being on that a couple of times, but he said kidney pancreas transplant. And I was like, oh, okay well I guess like if you think you know and then anyway the kidneys started to get worse and worse and mm -hmm. I got sent to so that was the RPA then I got sent to Westmead to get a um what is it called check over it's for whether I was would yeah. be able to have the transplant or not whether my body would be able to cope I sort of call yeah it, you sort of meet with the, the team and you sort of they do lots of tests and they talk to you and they ask you all about your history and things like that. Yeah. I sort of call it going to renovate a house. You check whether the, the bones are good or yeah. the piping's good. So that's what they, yeah. that's what they have to do. So they have to do like bone scans and then vascular tests and stuff like that. And they found a clot in my right leg, wow. in my right femoral artery. So, mm -hmm. That had to get addressed before I was even up for the transplant. And, that's and did you know anything about that at all at the no, time? Like, none. Didn't even know it was wow. there. Wow. Didn't even know it was there. Wow. And 
they um, they monitored it for about six months and went, okay, it's getting bigger. We'll just do, we'll just unblock it with a stent. I was like, mm. okay, no worries, day surgery. Um, although because of the kidney issues, I wasn't able to have the dye that they put in. Yep. So they were going to have to yep. do it by um, the gas. Um, yep. Which they said it's quite painful, so they'll put me under. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, like, um, go for it. Do what you got to do, guys, you know. Yeah. And I, yeah, of course. I remember lying in that bed that morning and watching as they, I was, could hear someone saying, oh, we don't have the gas, or where's the gas, we don't have the, the top of the gas or whatever it was. And, you know, being a diabetic, um, you get in first. So you're in first yeah. and you're out, you know, because they don't want any issues with the sugars. So I didn't go in till really late in the afternoon because there was whatever issues. And then I woke up in ICU and I was like, oh, wow, what am I doing here? And they said, oh, there was a little issue with your, um, with your leg and you have compartment syndrome in four compartments of, of your leg. And I was like, I was pretty dozed out and I was like, oh, okay, didn't even know what that was either. Mm. And then the next day. It was about like seven in the morning. I was must have been the change of shift or the start of the shift. They were like, "What's the pain like?" They were checking my toes, you know, all that sort of stuff. And they said, "Oh, we got to take you in for emergency surgery." And I was like, "What? What for?" Like I was oblivious. And they said, "Well, you have yeah. to do what they call and what I know now is called a fasciotomy, where they have to cut down both sides of your legs to release the blockage that was caused when the." stent was pushed put in and pushed down oh wow i mean mind my non-medical terminology here but yeah. so yeah but people understand it <laughs> yeah so i remember ringing my mum and dad and going and saying um they're taking me into surgery right now um i'll talk to you after <laughs> like i didn't like i was like okay and they're like sign this form sign this form and I came out of surgery back into ICU and they had stitched up one side of my leg, but the other side of my mm -hmm. leg, um, there wasn't enough skin because when you have compartment syndrome, your leg blows up. Like I've got quite small calf. So I had one calf, mm -hmm. which was regular and the other calf, I'd look like front row forward. Like it was huge. So wow. when they when they opened me up and it was all swollen and everything and they stitched up one side and then they couldn't close the other side. So then I had this big dressing on and still out of it, still in ICU and strapped to all these machines and um, then they came to <laughs> this is probably a gross story, but they came to clean my wound and I was sitting upright in bed and I said, Oh, can I see it? And they said, Yeah, <laughs> if you want. And they showed it to me and there was <laughs> on my leg about the size of an A5 notebook. I've got one in front of me. That's why I'm using that comparison. There was like this huge opening of my leg. And I said, oh, what's that? And they said, oh, that's your ligament. I was like, what's that? Oh, that's your muscle. And I was like, oh, that's the art. Well, that's right through. That was, I could see all everything going on. And they said, it looks really good. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so they're not freaking out so you don't need to <laughs> yeah they're like oh it looks good it's really pink and red and whatever I was like okay cool so that turned into a month in hospital with um wow. not being able to walk or move or all that sort of stuff being weighed by a um a mini crane you know as they come in and weigh you and yep. uh they end up ended up putting a skin graft on that wound um mm. and uh the skin graft then healed up brilliantly it was great but I was what was I 35 still a young woman I still yeah. um I actually was a bit younger but yeah I was still a young woman I still wore shorts and not many dresses but still you know I wanted to you know walk around yeah, and I now course, I have these of course now I've got these two scars up both sides of my legs and um that was a lot of recovery at home after that um that was a pretty bad time um of course of course because I think I think people forget and I've talked to other other guests about the physical aspect that I think sometimes the doctors forget about that you know you're all everyone's a series of parts to a lot of doctors I feel and they forget that that in the end, as patients, we need to go back out and live somewhat of a normal life at the end of it. And yeah. sometimes those scars aren't just mental scars, they're physical ones. And the physical ones can be sometimes really difficult. I'm not saying that mental ones aren't, but sometimes the physical ones can be, to a doctor, a really simple thing like, you know, we're going to yeah. cut your leg open. You're and you're going <laughs> to, yeah. Or you're going to have a skin graft and it won't be that bad. I know, but it's I not just that, one scar; yeah. it's multiple scars, or it is just that one scar, and it is quite to you. It's not you. Yeah, it's a scar. I, I remember them saying, "Oh, we're just gonna have to chuck a skin graft on it." And I remember mm. hearing that, and it's it's like, really blasé. And yeah, and I was yeah, my beautiful orthopedic surgeon came to visit me because he'd heard I was in, and he said, mm. um, "That you need to get that skin graft." And I said, "Oh, it's just." you know I'm not really dealing with it very well and he goes well I know your body and your dodgy body and you're going to get an infection which is going to be much worse and Mm. so it was a different type of people that were that I was dealing with that one was like we'll just chuck a skin graft on I'm like you just don't chuck a skin graft on like what does that entail where is the skin graft from like all that sort of stuff but he um yeah, he guided me to that and mm. I, I'm obviously very proud of my scars now and I wear them with yeah. honour but that's taken a lot of time to – that yeah. doesn't happen and that it's, day. That's it's all about bedside years. manner, really. Yeah. It's all about how it's actually presented to you, like chucking something on present, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> this is how you should talk to patients. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I have had the fortune of doing that. It's just – it's never enough doctors that you can speak to to give that bedside manner talk to yeah. because in the end of the day you're still a person underneath that and yeah you do still have to as a woman want to wear a dress or shorts or whatever and yeah. feel okay about that but it's it's all about how it's you know Ali this is your alternative and a, a, an infection that's going to make this problem so much yeah. worse so this is a, sadly short-term pain for long-term gain sort of thing yeah, and that's just that makes you feel so much more at ease, even though they're presenting exactly the same situation to you. Yeah, and because the initial just the stent day surgery 
went so drastically wrong mm. that a month later I'm like yeah still sitting in that bed from that you know supposed to be in there for a couple of hours that yeah it doesn't and that certainly doesn't happen to everyone and um but if there is a surgery that can go wrong I can I would certainly be the one I'm known for that so <laughs> you and me both yeah <laughs> <laughs> bad bad juju for the doctors <laughs> so um I then um, had a month in hospital with another ulcer mm. on the feet and that was all before transplant. And when you mm. are being prepped for transplant, that's what I was looking for, for prepped, um, you can't have an infection. You have yeah. to be really sick to be um, viable for a transplant, but you also have to be mm. healthy sick. Like you have to be well enough to survive the transplant. Well you can't to, have infections. Yeah, or, yeah, yep. Infections are the big one. So the ulcer. Was yeah, a, absolutely. Another month in hospital, and then I, uh, during all those crazy months, they were putting me on dialysis because the kidneys weren't coping with all the, yeah, with all the, um, with all the surgeries and stuff. So then I started dialysis. Uh, hemodialysis I learnt at the Mm -hmm. hospital and then got the machine installed at home Mm -hmm. my dialysis machine was Debbie and Debbie had her own room (laughs) I love that you named it dialysis (laughs) (laughs) and um so Debbie came she was there I think 10 months I think um all up so I would do that Mm. every other day jump on prep up um six hours I think I was on four and I was on it but the entire process was about um eight hours and mm. I that's a pretty lonely time I spent but also how did dialysis treat you yeah. in the you know when when I was on dialysis I found that it was impossible to do almost anything oh, um it, you know oh, I sort of it's felt trapped yeah I was, yep. could it go far from mm. from Debbie and couldn't go, you know. I was I was bound to that machine, but that machine safe was yeah. saving my life. So yeah, exactly. I was I could sleep for Australia at that stage. I used to sleep seventeen hours a day, no issue. Yeah. Head down, yeah. wake up you know, a day later. Like there was, I was sleeping so much. Um, I was really mm. crook, and um. And I was really lonely because the world and all my mates were moving on, getting married, having kids, going overseas, going away for weekends, like getting engaged, like doing all this great stuff. And I was in this holding Mm. pattern. Like, you know, like the plane in the sky, I was just like going around in circles, just waiting, waiting, waiting. Yeah. And that's not an easy place to be. Um, Mm. And then also because I think as well, people yeah. don't doctors don't tell you at at that point that inherently you're you're dying, and it's oh a really God, it's weird subject to broach. Mouth. But took the words yeah, <laughs> but I you don't dying. and you don't feel like that either. I might no. admit. I mean, you know, I've I've flatlined quite a few times. I've cheated death on a number of occasions, but oh, me too. this never yeah. felt like that. It's no. sort of it's just really slow. Just, yeah. You don't. You go. 
you go. Like you, you don't. You're really not aware of it. Aware of it. No. But this is a really slow, horrible progression, and you realize how important that giant machine that does dialysis, Debbie, in your case. Yeah. How important that machine is to take the 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 work of this tiny organ that's about the size of your fist and clean your blood because that's what it, inherently that's yeah. what dialysis does it cleans all the toxins out of your blood and then pumps all of that blood back into your body but at the same time you can't have too much fluid during the day so you oh. can't drink too much water you can't have too much fruit ice yeah. coffee tea anything that's got fluid in it Pity. you're on a restriction yeah yeah and you're dying how many meals but yeah i used to like eat ice because it was yeah. Slower processed and drink yep. my water. Yeah, exactly. Day. And you could guarantee how much was in that ice cube, like yeah. 30 mils or whatever. And you'd be uh, able to, for me, count how much. Yeah. And the dialysis machine would take like four kilos off your body or whatever of just fluid. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what but it was. But it's not, an, a, it's not a great four kilos. It's like the four kilos of fluid that you've built up since yeah. your last dialysis. Dress. It's, it's not, not like, like yeah. instant weight loss. Yeah, no. You, because also... The four kilos would puff up and, I, I mean, I had days where my eyelids would barely open because they were so puffy. <laughs> I looked like oh. the Michelin man. Yeah. I, and it was literally just water and yeah. toxins. Yeah, toxins, yeah. <laughs> that, well, oh, because um, I don't know if you, but I stopped weeing. Yeah, that's quite a common thing. It's, yeah, so and it's one of those unspoken things that, that a lot of kidney patients yeah. don't talk about. You do, you stop, stop peeing. Yeah. Yep. Which is great just, if, you're, or, if you go into the shops and I, yeah. I couldn't really walk very far. so <laughs> Or on a uh, road trip or something yeah. like that. But that doesn't happen when you're on dialysis. So no. it's sort of you get all these weird benefits, so to speak, that yeah. aren't really benefits. Yeah, but, like, you can't do anything <laughs> with them. No. <laughs> but uh, uh, about the um, – regarding the dying, I, I spent a few sessions with uh, my beautiful psychologist, Linda Beanie. She mm. – um. We talk through the dying thing um, because mm. I said I'm not dying enough. Like I couldn't really. I was like, I'm not that yeah. sick. Yeah. And I'm and I I don't I didn't look sick, so I would, you yep. know, I might be at, at Woolies with Mum and meet somebody, and they say, "Oh, you're the one that's on dialysis." I go, "Yeah," and they'd say, "Oh, you look all right." I went, "Oh, yeah." So I must be all right. Anyway. Like, but I don't also in I'm... the same vein, you do, you don't feel that sick because you don't know, you forget what normal was like. Yeah, that's right. And also because it's such a slow, insidious progression. That's right. You just and don't you feel just any sleep. different. You're not going yeah. anywhere you, because you're too tired. And you're, you know. Yeah. But And you just yeah. don't really think about it too much in that vein. You sort of don't realise how unwell you are. And I think, yeah, you're right. People, A lot of people don't tell you you look sick. I had a few that I think more knew me better that kind of yeah. they didn't they'd never tell me I look sick at the time but now they've said oh you you used to look so grey oh that's what my yeah mum could see that colour in me mm. and I'm like really grey she goes yeah I could see it. I'm like, oh I didn't even I couldn't see it mm. but I um my friends I've got the most brilliant brilliant friends mm. and two of my really good mates. Hayden and Fitzy wanted to do a fundraiser for me. And I got mm. really angry at them and went, don't be ridiculous. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that sick. I'm not, di- I'm not dying. <laughs> in another session with, with Linda and she's like, 
it's not about you. And I was like, what? It is about me. I'm the one that sits. She goes, yeah, but people want to help, you know. Yeah. And it, I didn't realise how sick I actually was when that all yeah. happened. And, but, yeah, I didn't feel that I was um, worthy enough because I wasn't yeah. sick enough. And so I remember Linda yep. going, okay, on a scale of healthy to dying, or dead where do you, where are you and where does where does a um a fundraiser fit in what area of this like just before death or like just and I was like oh and yeah people said like it's it's about people wanting to help and they can't you know they either can't sit by your bedside or sit with mm. you on dialysis or they can't you know help you or cook for you or whatever so they want to do something mm. else and gosh like that that was one of the biggest things that helped me through was yeah. I just had this a, a rally. It was called the Rally for Ali, actually. It's really cute. That's awesome. Um, and knowing that I had that support boosted me. Like, yeah. It was like, you know, rocket fuel along as well. And, um, yeah, so the whole dying thing was a bit weird. There was, I had a lot of mm. conversations about where do you go? Um, yeah. What happens when you get there? And is it worse? Because than also, here? let's is explore that a little bit. Yeah. How does it feel when you're mid thirties and you find out that you're dying of yeah. diabetes? Might I add? Because can we oh, also yeah. add that you don't ever think that you're going to die from diabetes? But let's face it, all of your complications, like mine, were a consequence of your diabetes. So you essentially, you are dying of a disease that you just really. I need it's, to do it, do it's really to strange. Yep, you didn't do anything to get there. And your parents didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to get, to get it either. It's just bad luck. Yeah. Yep. Um, I really struggled. Mm. Um, but I was so frightened. Yep. So, so frightened because I, I grew up Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic or mm. practicing anything yep. at the moment. But I didn't quite believe the stories that you go to this other place because I was like, mm. my heaven's here. Like my yeah. friends and my family, my family are like, oh, they are heaven. Like they're, they're, yeah. don't, don't sell me a story that there's a better place because I really like it here. Like I love mm. it here. Like I was a big fan of life. Yeah. Big fan. And then um, uh, if there is somewhere else you go, like, it was so hard at that time. Is it going to be harder wherever I go or is it going to be easier or will I have diabetes there? Like what's, mm, you know, course. like I was all these questions and what if it's just nothing? Then I was like yeah. really sad. So I went into some pretty dark places then. Of course. Um, and, yeah, it was just a lot of talking it through. Mm. Um, with a really great psychologist that she also didn't doesn't have the answers. Nobody has the answers. Yeah. But it was more of how do we handle that that those yeah. thoughts and you know that fear. How do we? Because handle it's that also fear? such a a foreign concept to be, as I said, mid thirties and facing your own mortality. It's that's not what we would consider normal at all. 
you know, there are people that do do go through that and they're quite often, let's face it, unfortunately, they're quite often cancer patients. And they lost it's not two to, great girlfriends you know, last year, both to cancer. Exactly. Both, both like I, late 30s and 40s. Quite often that's where you hear of people in that age group passing away or, you know, sadly road yeah. deaths or things like that. But it's it's not a normal sort of circumstance by any stretch of the imagination, no matter what happens. No matter oh. what the reason for it, it's not normal. You're, you in know theory, supposed to live to your 80. Did you know anyone that had a transplant before you got into the transplant world? No. No, nope. yeah. Not at all. I did not know a single person. And yeah. it's sort of, you know, I'd always been an organ donor. I had yeah. it listed on my license when I first got it, like many people did, which I might add, it's not on your license and there are more people. It's on Medicare now yep. so fix it if you've already got it if you don't know if you've got it fix it on medicare um absolutely yeah absolutely but i didn't it, know anything about the donors or yep that they have to be on life support all this other like yeah I didn't the know circumstances was, around organ donation hmm. I yeah I was really in the dark about it even when I had the transplant conversation hmm. at Westmead I d- had no idea how it was facilitated and no. I definitely did not know anybody who had had a transplant prior to myself no and then I met bunches of people but you know yeah before that no way yeah same not at all same. not at all so so yeah you, you're 35, 36, and, yeah, what happened next? Then, um, so I had to quit, uh, not quit, I had to finish work, um, mm. which was really hard because work's yeah. a huge outlet for me, and I've now been of with course. the company for 15 years. So mm. um, work for me is a purpose and stuff like, yep. you know, it gets, gets me up in the morning, not that I want to, yeah. but. It, it gives me a reason <laughs> to get up and shower every morning. Um, so I had to stop work because I had to go on dialysis mm. full time. And um, then on the June the uh, July the second of two thousand fourteen, um, mum and dad came in and woke me in the middle of the night. It was about two thirty, mm. and said, oh, "Westmead's on the phone," and I was like, "Oh, what?" And because you know when you really, when you're really sick, like when you're really close mm-hmm. to the, like you know creatinine's in the thousands. Yep. You and you're getting close sleep, to the edge. You sleep. Yeah. So, just so long and so deeply. Um, yep. And they said, "Oh, Westminster Hospital." Was like, "Oh, okay." And um, they said, "Come in. We've got some organs for you." I was like, "Oh, shit. like this isn't what I thought." Like it was a bit, it was weird. Got ready. And, and how long had you had you been waiting at this point? How long had you been listed for or anything like that? Um, well, because I was always, always had an infection. I think they call it when you're active. Um, I think I was probably active for 10 months. Yep. But I was prepping up for it for about two years, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Probably, yeah, probably two, two and a bit years since I had the conversation. Mm. Um, I don't know, actually, it's probably eight years since the first conversation started about yeah the, the kidney um, troubles. So, and then doing all the tests and then 
bikini's getting worse and worse and worse and then mm. going to Westmead and then getting all the checks and then doing all the prep and then held back because of the leg um, and clot yeah. issues and then the, a month for the ulcer issues and stuff like that. So on dialysis, only for 10 months, I was incredibly lucky. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the matches came through. So that was the mm-hmm. 2nd of July. In the middle of the night, got the call, went down to Westmead and at about 6 a.m. in the morning, still waiting around. Not much goes on mm-hmm. in hospital at night time. You know, it's a pretty quiet place. <laughs> but I was no getting No one gets bit... sick in hospitals. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be... In the middle answered. of the night. <laughs> nah. I was going to be answered. Like, what's going on? Like, nobody's come and spoken to me. Like, I'm a bit... Yeah. And then they came in and said, oh, it's um, fallen through. No mm. organs. No organs yeah. for you today. Wow. So I was like, oh, in shock. Just like, oh, okay. Of course. But, Went home and, um, yeah, it was just, an, it was a really numbing sort of moment of mm. like, oh. Because you get that, so much that hope chance? and you put that... so much faith into that, that call and yeah. and the aftermath of that, so to speak. So you go going to the hospital in dramatic fashion and sort of, yeah, having yeah. to wait around. And that's, that's whether the organs are viable or not, you do wait around for a, quite a period of time. Yes. Um, and so, realize. yeah, to come yeah. Yeah, exactly. And to come back with that information that sort of it's not today, it would have been gut-wrenching. Yeah, it was, yeah, because my family were there, like my close. Um, yeah. I've got a brother and two sisters and um, my mum and dad are all really mm. tight. They're my absolute lifesavers. Um, yeah. Nurses and carers <laughs> as well. Of course, um, yep, absolutely. And they were all there and then... Anyway, so we went home and that was, it was just a really strange day that mm. um, I feel sad for the person that passed because I'm not sure yeah. what happened. Um, and then a week later, exactly a week later, on the 9th of July, it was about 10.30 in the morning and I was mm-hmm. at home, obviously, I was due to go on dialysis that afternoon, I always dialysed in the afternoon and yeah. um, cannot watch some TV shows <laughs> that used to be on at the same time now. <laughs> I hear the Grand Designs theme song now and I go, oh, God, dialysis tender. <laughs> but I was due to dialyze that afternoon. Mum was Mum and Dad were at work. My brother was home and uh, I was just watching TV, sitting in the sun mm. like a cat because I was always yep. freezing. And I yep. got a call from um, my transplant coordinator and he said, hey, Lee, how are you going? I said, yeah, good. What are you up to? You know, not much, just hanging around. He goes, oh, well, do you want to come down to the hospital? I've got a couple of organs for you. And I was like, what? Like, so casual. <laughs> like, yep. so casual. Like, he was just like, do you want to catch up for a coffee? It was like, yeah. I've got a couple of organs for you. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And he said, well, you said July, didn't you? And uh, no word of a lie, I used to always, you know, stir up the doctors and stir up yep. um, Paul, my coordinator, and said, I want to go to America on my one-year transplant anniversary. 
but I want it to be in summer because I don't want to go to winter. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, don't want to do cold. Of course. And so I said, you know, I like June or July. And he said, well, you said July. So I said, yeah, I did. He goes, okay, see you soon. I was like, oh shit, like any other expletives? <laughs> and um, I ran down to my brother um, down the back in his um, his room, and I jumped on him, and he's like what are you doing? Like, you're on me because I jumped on him. And I was like, yeah. we've got to go. It's time. Organs, translate, got to go. Got to get, get up, like, got to take me to the hospital. He's like, well, okay, yep, yep. You know, slowly waking from his sleep. And then I rang mom and then I rang dad and then I rang my two sisters. And then I was like, like walking on the spot for, I don't know how long, just like, what do I do? Like, have a shower, pack my bag. Like, you know, yep. have the bag packed, but. I was a bit like on the spot and then mum flew home. I don't know. I don't even know how she got home so fast. And then dad was home too. He was working in the city. I was like, oh, you're here already. Anyway, bailed me up in the car with all my stuff and we went down and we went straight up to the clinic and then we waited. <laughs> so yep. they have to do blood and bacteria checks and they have to they have yeah, to really, they, have they to do, do a million tests. A yep. million tests because they've got to make sure you don't have a underlying infection, you don't have yep. anything. They want to so, make sure that everything happens perfectly and it's it's for good reason. It's just at the time you're just so yeah. patient. You just like you yeah, just want to go through this and, and yeah, was, like what's I'll, next. And, and I was so used to dialysis, like should I be getting on a machine? Like I need to yeah, dialysis day and they're like, no, no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> your new kidney will work and you won't yeah, need analysis like, oh, sure. yeah. but you don't realize that <laughs> no but and so we waited so I think we got there by eleven thirty, mm. and I remember clearly taking my insulin pump off wrapping mm-hmm. the cord around it giving it to my mum both of us crying yeah, and then of course. I remember waiting some more and then clinic shots and then I had to go into this other room and then um, I fell asleep because I was, I was <laughs> sick so I was yeah. fell asleep. Mum was lying next to me on the bed and I had my, my brother and my two sisters were there and mm. my nieces were there for a bit and then um, mum woke me up. She said there's a a helicopter's landed outside your room and they're calling for you. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And she said, they're calling for you. They're ready. And then I panicked and I was like, oh, I'm not ready. Like, you know, like, <laughs> what? 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 Wait, what? So I remember saying goodbye to them mm. because I didn't know if, oh, excuse me, I didn't know if I was going to see them again. I was pretty sure I would, but I was not sure if I'd survived the surgery because I had such shitty luck with surgery. <laughs> um, and um, anyway, I remember being wheeled wheeled off and that was all good and chatting. I still remember it so clearly, chatting with all the doctors and being very yeah. nervous and getting the epidural and I remember throwing up. And I threw up like <laughs> some fish and salad. It was like still processed, <laughs> gastroparesis. Nice. And I and yep. I said, yep. I'm so sorry. I didn't eat today. I promise, because you know you can't eat. 
I yeah, promise. Of course. It was from the night before we had fish and salad. <laughs> They're like, it's fine, don't worry about it. <laughs> I was so nervous and epidurals aren't that fun to get. So Yeah. And then I remember going in and I was like, Good luck everyone, like, you know, see you on the other side, like best of luck. And um and then I woke up, I don't know, the next day, but I don't really recall that. Yeah. But I did say to my dad, I don't have diabetes anymore, which was like a life-changing moment. Yeah, um, of course. And then the next time I woke up, I was back down in ICU. And um, uh, what had happened was the day after my my transplant, um, the beautiful nurse um, was looking after me and uh, apparently my breathing wasn't very strong. Um, mm. So I wasn't, you know, breathing very strong. And yeah. you're on a fair few drugs for the pain. Yep. Because yep. they just cut you in half. And um, next minute she's called sirens and everything and I I um, stopped breathing. So. Oh, wow. Then, uh, yeah, they did CPR up in the ward and then wheeled me down to um, surgery to open me back up again because they thought perhaps there was some bleeding internally mm. that may have caused that, but it was all good. Um, I think I have 42 staples in my tummy um, wow. after that. So, yeah, I, work in, I was came to an ICU and... The first thing I said to mum was, why did I only get a small bed? But, of course, they had me upright <laughs> and my feet were touching the end. I thought they'd only given me half a bed. I was like, what, what's, what's with the kids' bed? But It's I amazing went, the priorities you have. <laughs> hmm, I was on so many drugs. Was, yeah, crazy. Oh, absolutely. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, had many a crappy moment, many a great moment. Yeah. Um. I had just mainly the family visiting and then they were getting all gowned mm. up. And then I got put back up to the ward once I was well enough. And I only spent 12 days in hospital. 12 days. Wow. Yeah. I spent it's not longer long. in hospital and it grows so, so fast. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this I was remember- something that's absolutely saved your life. It's Yeah, 12 yeah, days. It was like, like really? such a straight, short time. But- yeah, I was like. <laughs> I'm I'm down with it, but really, wow, okay, cool. But are <laughs> getting rid are, of me already? What did I do? Yeah, yeah. I was like, you talk to RPA. They keep me in for a month. Um, <laughs> so then I, some things I remember about that time for people going to get a transplant is you mm. still can't drink for a couple of days, and you're on like a feeding tube, and I think it's mm. like twelve different things you're plugged into, and. Yeah, so many um, wires and tubes and bits and pieces just hanging out of you. It feels like you're tied to the bed. Yeah. And not in a, so not in a sexual way whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you are bound to that bed. And then all, of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> then all of a sudden they start pulling all these things out of you and you're like, are you sure you want to pull that out? Because, you know, yeah. like you suddenly feel this freedom. I remember being pointed one like with the door was to my left and people would poke their head in and say something and I'd be like I can't turn my head to see you I don't know who you are <laughs> Why do, can you 
walk in front of me so I can see. Like, <laughs> Come into so they're washing their hands in the thing going, oh, it's a beautiful day outside. I'm like, fucking great. Well, I can't, I'm not outside and I'm pointed the other way from the windows. So. <laughs> I can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good, good Absolutely. Um, and what have you done? What have you done since your surgery? So, uh, true to my word, I went to America on my one-year transplant um, awesome. with my sister Suze. Um, she was as much there, was just my best friend, as for mm. to be my I call her my assistant because she's um, yep. so helpful and organises me very well. Yep. And then I brought a house, and that's um, amazing. Well, actually, first I went back to work after three months post transplant. Of course, yeah, yeah. And that was a real driver, and um, really made me get better quickly. I think, and mm. um, my work were really brilliant with um, the freedom to go to my doctors. You know, yeah. and which is so so important. One of those yeah. things that a lot of people forget about is like the need for flexibility and employment post transplant or post. Even with a chronic illness, no matter what, I think yeah. it's the flexibility to have those appointments that are so, so vital because they're the ones that keep you alive. So you can keep going back to work. And I think well, I'm a better employee. Kind of yeah, I'm a better employee because because they allow that freedom. I mm. work as hard as I can and do, yeah. you know, make up the hours, you know, yeah. maybe not like, you know, during the day, but like I'll work longer or earlier or. Yeah you know, I won't take lunch for whatever it is. Um, I feel like because they are so flexible that I am a better employee. So I went back to work. Yeah, that's right. That's a better word for it. Um, (laughs) Back to work. I brought a house. I competed, and I say that very loosely, in the transplant games, as I am (laughs) no athlete. Um, <laughs> but I found um, exercise again I'm not an athlete but I was just mm. any form of movement and working with yeah. a brilliant exercise physiologist in St Leonard's um, M- MTP Health I worked with them to get um, to get a, to get my fitness up and to build some mm. muscle which I don't think I've yep. ever had but with yeah. the dodgy bones that I have with osteoporosis and the dodgy nerves not being able to walk you know perfectly Mm. or not even being able to jump or anything I would go to them a couple days a week and they built my strength up and my confidence and Mm. had a little goal to go to the transplant games which I did in a, a huge team event of um of what are the boats dragon boats Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and that was really fun and it was a, a little goal to achieve. Not that I will be rushing back because I'm not, not good at any of that sport. And but I'm not still, very competitive it's, it's either. It was more just to yeah. go, I can do it. I can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's just as important, I think. It's, yeah. not, it's not necessarily like I'm super competitive. So I would have been like, yeah, I'm there and I'm going to win oh, a goal really? and, you know, I'm going to be the best at everything. I am not because I'm visually impaired and have the worst balance in the world. And I'd fall out of the boat, even though I was sitting into it. 
or I'd get whacked with a paddle or something like I, the worst thing that could possibly happen. And then I would end up in the river no matter what. Yeah, then we'd end up in Australia. I, yeah. Yeah. For no other reason. At all. If you want to but beat me at a race, yeah. I'd be like, you go for it. Yeah, you won. Woo. And I'm like, yeah. But it's important to have those goals for yourself, I think. Like oh, whether you are super competitive or not, it's just it's one of those like I can do this after yeah, having a lifetime or even part of a lifetime of not being able to do stuff. Yeah. it's no, just, That was, that was yeah, and it was fun and it was like I got a uniform, I got like a New South Wales uniform and I was pumped because it was like, you know, yeah. The, of I haven't course. had a sports uniform since school and I felt part of something. And, and how many people can say they're dragon boated? Well, Seriously. I can't. No, now I'm jealous and I want to. I wouldn't say I played a huge part in the team, you know, yes, event. You I think all the strong people around <laughs> me did and I just like, got out of breath pretty quick. But I've Hey, done... but there wouldn't have been a team without you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they so there you go. Ali who? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember me, Mern. No, were you in that boat? Yeah, I was behind you. No. Um, the so transplant games, brought a house, still at my job. I've travelled to Europe and uh, Mexico. Mexico, yeah, I went to Mexico last year, um, and the Americas again to visit my brother. He lives in Miami. Um, wow. Shout out to Darren and about a thousand visits up to see my sister Kat and my nieces, Piper and Indy, up on the Gold Coast. Um, you turned know. 40 as well. Oh, yeah, I turned 40. Oh, and I made your cake. That's, you did make my cake. But you turned 40, and let's face it, in transplant I mean, world, a, a milestone birthday is huge. And I, and and I it's had a hell of a so party. comfortable. Yeah. yeah, you did. Oh, was awesome. I was so stoked. And I was like, oh, my God, 40. But I was like, what a privilege. And I still, I turned 41 this year. Yep. I was like, huge privilege. Yep. I mean, yep. I didn't think I was going to make 40. And I yep. never, do you know what I did a couple of weeks ago? I looked into my super because I was never really looked into it before because I didn't think I had a future to worry about it. Like yeah. I thought, well, I won't be here able to go to my, you know, split halfway between my mum, dad or whoever. But yeah. I have a future now. I Yeah, um, absolutely. I can't have kids, but that's yep. okay. Um, yep, you've got a fur child at the moment that I know I'm of. I'm looking after my, yeah, my sister's puppy bear. Um, he's a great emotional support. I think when I got upset before, he just jumped on my on my feet oh, um less uh yeah I looked into my super and went holy heck like I'm six years in six years post transplant my anniversary in um mm-hmm. three weeks and yeah I'm pumped like I think I might make it to old age yeah you know it's like one of those things that the regular population normal people as we like to refer to them as Ugh. Normal. They have – it's one of those things that people take for granted a lot of the time and it's not until you do face something that's so, so life-changing and life-altering and, you yeah, know, you face – as I said, you face your own mortality and you don't think you're going to have a future. Like, who cares about super? I'm not going to be here in yeah. 10 or 15 years' time because, you know, yeah. I'm dying from diabetes. Yeah. But that's, that's it's such a turnaround to kind of go, you know what, I'm six years post-transplant and I'm, I've got super. 
because I'm yeah. going to retire one day and I'm going to, yeah, I, think I don't know. What are you going to do when you're retired? Oh, uh, the dream job, like work, <laughs> <laughs> hug babies at the hospital, you know, like um, work nice. for a charity, that's for sure. Something. Yep. I'm terrible at sports. I probably can't take up golf or I might just go fishing That's every right. day. You, you know what yeah. you could do? You could do what my grandmother did when she retired. Mm. She bought an ice cream van and travelled around Australia with it. Stop I think it. that that is the dream. Like, well, after for me, coming, I think that is ultimate. That is yeah. fantastic. When I was 20 driving around by myself and I would pull over and I'd see all the grey nomads stopping for tea cake and coffee and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, they're so organized having like everything ready it was I was like you know flying by the seat of my pants or whatever the saying is I was like <laughs> the young chaotic yeah young, chaotic like, life. peanut butter sandwiches and water um <laughs> so I'm making sure I had enough money for insulin <laughs> um yeah, of course but I was like oh I can't wait you know to do that when I'm older and be more organized mm. and not have to rush from town to town because you're running out of money. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's that's one thing I'd love to do for sure, more travelling. Yep. I'll make some more money so I've got and, plenty in the bank. <laughs> and what is resilience to you? You've talked about it a couple of times, but what is it to you? What is resilience? Resilience is when you're going through hell and you keep going. Resilience yep. is just keep going like it that's sometimes it's just you just think things can't get any worse and they can um (laughs) yeah they can oh yeah get worse um but you just got but even if those can work and even though you sort of you get to those worst moments Mm. and there are still worse still why why do you keep going um, I think because I still want to be here. Mm. My heaven is here. Like I yeah. don't want to be anywhere else. I really like life. Like I, mm. well, I love it. Um, there's, of course. It's so fun. I mean, yep. I've, I do suffer with depression and I've been on medication for yep. 11 years for it. Um, and I will never not take it. Um, mm-hmm. After my transplant, actually, they took me off the tablets. I think they just take you off everything. And I mm. went down, I remember, like, after the um, cardiac arrest and stuff like that, I went down mm. pretty badly and I wasn't asking any questions and I wasn't joking with the doctors. And my mum was like, something's not right here. And, yeah, mm. they'd taken me off my tablet. So I know I'm susceptible to that, mm. to that numb, nothing of feeling. Course. But when I'm not there because of my medication and exercise and my brilliant um, mm. psychologist, I really enjoy life and I think it's it's so beautiful and I've got great friends and family and it's so And so is that also an element food. of it? Is part of your resilience also that support network that you've got, the people that surround you? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I... Um, I've put them through some awful times. Um, my doctor, one of my professors, says that he's much greyer because of me. 
and I think <laughs> my mom and dad are probably a lot greyer because of me as well. Um, but without them, I would be lost. Like they, yeah. you know, sat by my bedside, fed me, you know, mum would just lay with me and let me cry. Dad would, you know, pet me up, give me the positive talks, just, you know, keep me going that way. Like, yeah. They were all such a beautiful balance of um, support that, yeah, there's there's no way I wouldn't have, you know, someone to drive into the hospital, yeah. sit with me through the appointments because after you transplant, you go back, to, although you're in there 12 days, which is amazing, you go back every day for 12 weeks, is it? Um, something like that, yeah. Something like they, that. They keep a very tight rein on you for quite a while while yeah. they monitor you. Because it's so, so important. They've, oh, so someone has given you that extra gift of life and it's not that they don't want to waste it. It's not the words that I'm looking for, but it kind no. of is. It's, you know, they want to make sure that they've given you the best opportunity you can to, to keep going forward. Yeah. And exactly. And that it works and that it's successful and that, you know, anything that can possibly go wrong in those first really critical 12 weeks, they can get on top of immediately and, and quash it. And so you you just keep going because they, they want the best for you ultimately yeah. as well. And that's some pretty boring um, hours there, but you make yeah. friends with the people around you that are there all going through the same thing. And um, I like was lucky enough that I had a, a friend, mainly family member, that would sit with me and we'd talk shit and, you know, just sit there and just wait and yep. just hurry up and wait and, just be and just got to be okay to wait because you're in yeah. the public system yeah. and you're so very lucky you just have to be okay so I'd go mm. all right I'm going to be at the hospital six hours today if you yep. get out in four you're lucky if you go it's a, a bit bonus. over you get extra yeah. time <laughs> yeah but just all right pack a lunch pack a book pack an iPad you know yeah whatever you want to do but just be down for the time I think the um I think I have a pretty positive outlook yeah um now generally um yep. and I wake up and I, I'm nearly every day in pain on my legs or my feet or something because I don't actually want to get out of bed or whatever but I do and I'm thankful for the day and I think if you can start off the, your day grateful the rest of the day gets easier you know, it might not be absolutely. You might not be feeling great, but if you change your perspective, perspective is everything. Yeah. Um, and help. I think I think with the chronic illness, you have that that fortune of perspective as well. You've been, and I mean, particularly more particularly as a transplant recipient, you really do because you go right to the edge. Yeah. And you can you have the opportunity to look over. And then turn around and walk back away from that cliff. It's, yeah, it's a pretty astounding thing to go through, and it is. Yeah, yeah. It's when you, when you say it like that too. It is. Yeah, you 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 just teeping over the top, looking over the cliff, and then someone just draws you right mm. back, and you're okay. Yeah, yeah, that's quite true. Yeah. And I um, thank my donor on the 9th of July. Every year. I thank them all the time. Yeah. I didn't know anything about my donor male, female, age, yeah. religion, don't know anything about them. Um, but I did grieve a lot for my donor because I didn't know who they were, but I was mm. 
mainly um, I was thinking of their family and was thinking how sad they must be and I couldn't get past that for a long time like Mm. I I, I got a lot of guilt a lot of survivors guilt that they quite common yeah what why 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 me why should I be able to yeah be here yeah absolutely and it's it's a really weird sort of dichotomy of like someone's passed away and that means that I'm still here and it's it takes a long time for a lot of people to get past that yeah I don't think yeah I don't know um I don't think I'm past it yet I know I struggled to my Mm. best girlfriend's past last year and I was like but why 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 am I here though it doesn't make any sense because what I mean life doesn't make sense but I just couldn't yeah. <laughs> couldn't cope there for a while like yeah. they should be here you know one of them was a yeah. mother and one of them was a brilliant like you know leader and I'm like you know they yeah. should be well, here still like yeah yeah but it's a anyway. it's an abnormal life that we lead really it's and it's an extraordinary strange. one as well I mean let's face it we do we, it's strange it's wonderful it's horrible at times it's it's but you also wouldn't have it any other way seriously oh, no. like I don't think I would ever choose a different path to what I've tread already the, oh no the, no, the I good the bad prefer, and the ugly let's face it it's yeah and I, I prefer, prefer I go through it than one of my yep. loved ones like absolutely I absolutely I would hate to be on the other side <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I am. But, Ali, we are are so, so, so grateful that you're here. And, oh, my Uh, God, I shed a few tears through that story because I identified with so much of it because it's it's so close to my own. It's scary. But, you know, (laughs) we've had the same transplant, so I would expect so. But (laughs) thank you so much for telling your story. You You were absolutely amazing and I really appreciated it. Probably talk for hours getting into the bits and pieces about feet and eyes and <laughs> eye infections and feet infections and, you know. Comparison stories. But we need a visual one for that. Yeah, we need a, like and, a video chat for that. Oh, that's, that's, uh, yeah. That's maybe the other future. So let's try and tee that up one day. Leg scars and <laughs> stomach scars. And, yeah, absolutely. No, I, absolutely. Um, I'm very thankful for your um, friendship and your ongoing um, charity work and getting the word out there. Uh, I could, certainly couldn't do it, um, Patty Cake. But um, yeah, I'm very thankful to have met you because I don't feel quite alone. Yeah, as I and likewise. And it's nice to have someone to chat to that goes, <laughs> I've got yeah. an ulcer. I'm like, me too. <laughs> and I we can compare stories, and it's just like someone else gets it. Me too. Me too. <laughs> But thank Uh, you so much for joining us today. And thank you everyone else for listening to us. We've really appreciated your time today. It's been such an awesome um, chat with Ali. And yeah, I hope everyone's appreciated it too. And anyone out there that's waiting on a kidney and pancreas transplant. It's it's really a big journey and it's it's such a tough one because also we're such a rare breed as well. There's like, you know, just under five or just over five hundred transplants of our kind in Australia. It's so weird. Um, but anyway, it's, yeah, it's, I know, right? We are rare. <laughs> I don't know what number I am, but we are a rare breed. 
Um, so please, please join us next Thursday. Um, we'll have a chat with someone else that's absolutely incredible, sharing their story once again and talking about resilience and getting through those tough, tough times. So um, thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy and stay sweet. And we will see you next week. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Tough Cookie Podcast. To find out more about The Sweetest Gift, go to www.thesweetestgift.org.au. Thank you for joining us on the Tough Cookie Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please join us next Thursday for another amazing story of hope, resilience, and really overcoming the odds. <laughs>